Welcome to episode number 87, To Love, To Be Loved. I am your host, Damon Soka. Today we're going to talk about the most complex word in the English language, and probably the one that is misused most often, the word love. If you attempt to find a single definition or declaration of this word, you're going to be very disappointed. The word in the English language is used in various contexts depending upon the situation, and sometimes even the tone of the word. Just a quick jaunt through Wikipedia, and you will quickly find that the word love is a complex noun and verb, and involves various expressions depending upon the circumstances, environment, and people or object involved in its meaning. I can say I love the ocean. I can say I love my wife. I love my brother. Baseball was my first love. I love the Savior. Now, each sentence has its own meaning for love. And not only is that meaning separate from the others, it is an individual definition. Love is a far more subjective word than I think we would like it to be. And we each have a slightly different version of it as a definition. I may not love the ocean for the same reason that my friend does. I may say I love my wife in both a charitable or a brotherly love and a passionate way. Each of the sentences also elicits a slightly different or even greatly different emotion, context, and definition. For instance, the statement that I love my brother and I love my savior may have similar feelings, but I love the ocean and I love my wife may not have anything in common as far as what I feel. More often when we speak of love, we speak of a feeling rather than some kind of definition. When I say I love my wife, that means certain things to me as far as my relationship with her, how I communicate, what I am willing to do for her, sacrifice, my love for her or the emotion I associate with it will drive my intentions, actions, and the means of demonstrating that love. Now this is true for all types of love I have discussed. Love is a feeling that often has somewhat subjective boundaries to it. Saying I love the ocean might mean that I will choose to go to the ocean rather than the mountains. It might mean that I will choose smells and odors that remind me of the ocean. To say that I love something does not mean that I don't love something else. I could say that I love the mountains and the ocean. Now, now the quantification of the quality of love is generally associated with what we're going to, what we will sacrifice or the priority we have for that love. For instance, when I say I love my fellow man and I love my wife, that love is not likely to be of the same quality and quantity. I will certainly do things for my wife that I may not do for my fellow man, and I'm going to choose choose my wife over my fellow man in almost every case. Love is a very difficult is very difficult to quantify from an outside perspective, however. For instance, it will be difficult for me to see just how much someone loves the Savior unless I have observed their actions for some time and see how the person prioritizes questions of choice about the Savior. But even when I have sufficient observation to form an opinion, my assessment might be entirely wrong. In the end, love is really a difficult concept both from an individual's point of view and how they perceive it in others. Love is also a strange concept from an intellectual point of view. Aside from the sexual or passionate love, which actually has a very specific goal and is probably more chemistry-oriented, to love something or someone is to give it a specific value in one's mind when compared to other objects, people, environments, or things. Now, the problem with love is that it is emotionally based, and love can change, diminish, grow, break, or even become non-existent. 
But all of that change is happening only within the complex working of the individual's mind and spirit and within their brains. Individuals who see me on a daily basis may not even notice a change. Now, I can feel my love changing, but there is no way that I can ever feel someone else's love changing. Okay, now we might say that we do feel it, but in reality, we are simply noticing changes of behavior, communication, expressions that indicate either a diminished sense of love or an increase. I cannot feel another's love in the sense of interlocking my brain and emotions with another's feelings. I can only feel what I feel and assume that the other person feels the same based on their actions, communications, their expressions, and those subtle cues that we get. But it is interesting that we interpret those things based on our own experience into an emotional state of the other person. Now, this is most often what causes us serious confusion when, we, when our interpretation is sometimes off or misaligned with another's love motivations. Now, this is basically, in some senses, the whole problem of puberty and life in general. Learning what love is and what love means and how to interpret love in another person. So all of this discussion leads me to my first point about love today, and that is love is interpreted in ourselves as an emotion or a motivation for action. Love is indeed a very powerful motivating force in the individual, and some say the most powerful force in the universe, and I probably wouldn't disagree. We see that the dominion of our Father in heaven is held together by love. Now, before I get too far into these motivating force of love and mental illness, I'm going to separate person-to-person love into two very distinct types of motivations. And for today, I'm going to focus on the person-to-person love and these two types of love. When discussing love for another person, I will separate the physical chemical love and sexual attraction from the charitable love or sacrificing love. Now, calling the sexual desire type of love lust, and the charitable love, sacrificial love. Now, I could use the word charity as delineated in the scriptures, but I actually like the idea of sacrificial love better for meaning. Now, each of these two types of love possess motivational forces that cause action, and many times action that borders probably on irrationality and illogical. Now, while I will eventually combine them, for now I'd like to talk about each of them based on mental illness and three ideas. The first idea is that we need love. Perhaps better said, we crave love. What we truly desire deep down in our hearts is a sacrificial love. But in the absence of that type of love from someone else, we will accept substitutes of objectional love, object love, or physical love. Now, there exists a deeply foundational desire in our bodies and spirits to be loved and accepted and to be part of a whole. It is one of our core motivational forces and is one of the components of happiness. Now, I'm sure science has its reasoning that might make sense as to why, but as a member of the church who fully believes in our pre-mortal life, I believe that this deep desire for belonging comes from pre-mortal family connections and the great happiness we found in that world. It is one of the most profound desires we carry with us from pre-mortality. We desire to be deeply connected to one another on more than just a physical or mortal level. Now, love is not only a condition of happiness, but a condition for life in general. Now, many of you have likely heard about the rabbit story told by Elder Stevenson at the last conference. What he noted is a scientific fact about love, nurture, care, and concern for another. 
Love makes a significant difference in not only the spiritual body, but the physical one as well. Love provides for a significantly improved life and happiness both spiritually and temporally. And it is interesting to note that this emotion that we cannot see or even know if it truly exists in another person other than their actions is actually required for our happiness and improved life outcomes. Second is that we need to feel love personally, and that includes the love we have for our own identities and self. We need to possess this motivational source of love in abundance for our own happiness and for those around us. Not being able to feel love is one of the most difficult states of mind and body that exist. Many equate it to torture. What is important about this type of self-love is that without it, we cannot feel love for anything or anyone else. We must feel self-love to be able to give love. Third, love is a type of spiritual, let's call it energy, that can be given by heaven and felt almost tangibly in a physical sense. Now, this type of love is critical to the development of our own personal sacrificial love in mortality for others. We were in the presence of a perfected, loving set of parents since the dawn of our consciousness, whenever that happened, who were entirely concerned for our welfare. Now, due to a veil of forgetfulness, we do not currently feel that celestial love and experience as we did in pre-mortality. Coming to mortality and being cut off from our father and mother as part of our experiences on this earth has caused that the overwhelming love we previously felt has been, let's say, seriously diminished so that we might be able to choose our own path in the eternities. And that even includes that love from our Father in heaven. This does not mean that it is ever fully taken from us, unless we are sent to such locations as utter darkness, but that a veil was placed between us and our parents so that we would be able to choose our own path without undue influence by that overwhelming and consuming love that they have for us. We do have access, however, to that love by our request in prayer, as stated in the last couple of verses of uh, Moroni 7, and of course by our obedience to principles that allow us to feel it, feel love more fully. Now this type of love is actually known as charity and is a gift from the Father to those who seek it. And I again, I refer to this as sacrificial love. And now that we have discussed any love in a kind of really broad sense, I would like to look at it from the perspective of one who suffers from the mental illness. Now, as I discuss this, remember that I'm limiting love to person to person and lust separate from sacrificial love. And I'm also going to spend the majority of the time on really sacrificial love. I'm also going to group depression, anxiety, and bipolar into the same group. Although I generally don't do this, I think it works for this particular instance. Now, as I've stated, love is almost always expressed as an emotional state. We say things like, we are in love, or we love someone. And when we say these things, we mean that the motivation we feel as love is causing particular boundaries to be drawn about our behavior with someone else. If I love my brother, I have to find a level of effort to which I will go based on my motivation to help him and to love him. The same is true of every person with whom we say we love or even come in contact. However, boundaries are likely to differ between individuals in our minds. What is also true is that love is and emotion and motivation varies with time, effort, reciprocal love, consistent obedience to commandments, and of course, as those of us who suffer know very well, it is dependent upon body chemistry. 
In general, I love my wife the same today as I did yesterday, but probably more than I did a decade ago. Now, for most people, love of another person remains reasonably consistent within a small range and stays fairly consistent over time with effort. As long as no serious problems arise, such as, a, such as, serious, such as breaches of trust like infidelity or other major problems, love also requires that daily effort be made to maintain the motivational state and increase your love. If I do not demonstrate love and bring forth the emotional state of love regularly, then over time my motivations will be, or my feelings will be supplanted by other feelings or emotional states. Now mental illness is an illness that directly affects emotional and motivational states of the mind and body. I have probably stated that in almost every one of these 87 episodes. It alters our ability to control those emotional states and to bring them forward into use and development. Mental illness is very much like a darkening cloud that slowly begins to cover and thus alter our emotional states. In a metaphorical sense, it's like slowly adding the color black to a bright red transparent window. It is difficult to tell the difference between small shades day to day, but eventually bright red will become dark red and then more black than red. If our emotional states of love is normally a bright red in our life, then the black mental illness begins to alter those shades in how we perceive the bright red. Unfortunately, our reality of bright red remains the same to us in many ways, even when our illness has altered it, and when black begins to seep in and alters our shades of love. Because we cannot compare our shades of love or shades of red from day to day, as that black seeps in to, the ch to change the color, then our new reality of love becomes the altered shades, and we are unable to see the difference. Now, while we may not be able to see the difference from day to day, because others who are close and connected to us do not change that rapidly, they can perceive small deviations in behavior, and they might begin to notice the differences. Now, while we do not perceive our emotional status of love changing, our parents, children, spouse, close friends might perceive it as they can see the outward changes, the subtle outward changes we cannot. They can perceive the onset of mental illness as a loss of love for them when you might not see it the same way. This causes relationship and communication issues between those who suffer and their closest associates, friends, and family. Now, this will also be troubling for the other person involved as they will not understand why you can't see it and two, why the changes are taking place. They have not altered their motivational state, and so they expect that yours will also remain the same or incrementally different but not noticeable. I think from the outside it is easier to see why so many individuals with mental illness suffer problems in their relationships. Now, in addition to the changing motivations for love for someone else, one of the terrible losses of mental illness is the loss of love for oneself that in turn causes a cascading effect in the emotional stability and emotional state, motivational states to love others. Now, what does this mean for a loss of love? What does it mean to lose love for oneself? Some of the more obvious features is that we begin to care less about our well-being and our outward appearance. We will lose confidence. 
almost like life is draining out of us. We will care less for self-improvement and self-development. We will become less concerned about our personal salvation and relationship with God, meaning that prayers, scripture, church, and other spiritual experiences will diminish. I found that mental illness makes it terribly difficult to feel the love of the Savior and heaven in general, thus also darkening our help and that gift of charity. That black color invades what we perceive of ourselves, and we feel worthless, minimized, useless, doubtful, and really, in the end, unworthy of the love of another and of ourselves. This then becomes our new, the new reality of love for, our, for ourselves, which in turn will be the new mo- motivation for the love of others. What is to be understood by self-love and is incredibly important for those who suffer is to understand that their motivational love is going to vary significantly depending upon episodes of the illness and the depth and breadth of the symptoms. So while most normal people, individuals, spectrum of change of love ranges in a very small spectrum and remains somewhat consistent, mental illness causes those who suffer to have a very wide range of love, emotional states, and motivations. This is not only disconcerting for the individual who suffers, but it's incredibly confusing and disconcerting, and of course difficult, for the individual whose love has not been altered. Because of the range of love that one feels while suffering, and because we often feel cut off from heavenly love, there is a strong tendency to seek love from others as part is a partial substitute for what we lack. Basically, we live off of another's love. Often individuals who suffer have a dependent behavior on those that they love in a sense of using the love of another to supplement or fill in what they cannot feel themselves. This dependent behavior can at times be the cause for many problematic relationships, including remaining in an abusive relationship, allowing physical or sexual love to substitute for a sacrificial love, seeking out love or acceptance in various other temporary forms of attention and acceptance, meaning that those who suffer are really very susceptible to persuasion, substitute types of love that might appear as love but are not, chemical dependencies that might feel similar to love, relationship dependencies that might feel similar to love, and a host of other problems that, for the most part, go against church doctrine. Interestingly enough, people who suffer will often turn to things like animals as a source of love and affection. They can also be easily influenced by self-help persons, sales tactics, and anything that might appear to be a form of acceptance. In the case of young adults and young individuals, this can often mean following a wrong crowd or avoiding finding it or avoiding or finding it difficult to stand up for oneself, or avoiding situations where disapproval or confrontation or judgment actually might occur. What is to be certain is that because love has diminished in various forms, the suffering person will become despondent and desperate for attention, love, mercy, and really anything that resembles it, including Lucifer's temporary substitutes. So what are then the solutions or the conclusions that might help someone who suffers about love. The first and foremost is to understand that your motivations for sacrificial love are going to range widely, and this is not normal for most people, and they are not likely to understand it. Second, 
this wide range of emotional love is not your fault and is a symptom of the illness, not some punishment, although it might feel like that. Loss of testimony, loss of love for a spouse or child or anything more than a chemistry change in the brain. Third, you will have to communicate what is happening to those around you who are close to you and to pointedly let them know that due to your illness, your love or the motivation is going to swing wildly at times, and that's going to affect your behavior. And it has nothing to do with them or that your love has diminished for them. Help them to see it as a symptom rather than a change in the relationship. Fourth, the sufferer needs to understand the dependency syndrome and to mitigate that as best they can so as to avoid situations where they might be pulled away from gospel promises and blessings through deep desires to simply be loved and included. They should also explain this to their spouse, their child, children, friends, church friends, and anyone who they might think would be affected by the changes in behavior and motivation that will occur. They should also listen to those closest to them when those persons begin to notice changes. Those changes can help you recognize when your illness is creating boundaries and concerns for them. Fifth, and perhaps most important, is to discuss these issues with the Savior and your Father through prayer. And even though it may not feel as though your Father is listening or you are receiving answers, they are and will come to your aid as you do your small part and ask. And as I said last week, it's very important that you ask daily for heavenly help and include the details. And it is especially true when it comes to love and your needs for love. Finally, when you make mistakes, when you make mistakes because of this deep spiritual desire for love and seek out temporary measures that might go contrary to commandments and church doctrine, you need to fully understand that the Lord provides great mercy for those who suffer in this manner and that sin is easily forgiven and that you must easily forgive yourself for these mistakes. You cannot return to any form of self-worth or self-love without forgiving yourself first. And you cannot return to a healthy love for others without your own self-worth or love. Now may the Lord help you to see just how valuable and loved you are. Now, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please pass it along so others might also enjoy his message. And finally, as I always say, may you do your part, however small it might be, so that the Lord can do his. And we will talk to you next week.